tonight we're going to begin reading the very first chapter and the first two verses. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Billy Joel, the songwriter and artist, tells the story of being... 40 years old and meeting a young man that had just turned 21. And the young man said to him, it's a terrible time to be 21. And Billy replied to him, yeah, I can remember when I was 21. I thought it was an awful time. We had Vietnam. We had a drug problem. We had civil rights difficulties and everything seemed to be awful. And the young man's reply was, yeah, 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 but it's different now. I think this is a typical conversation between generations. But younger generations think that the older generation has messed everything up. And the older generation thinks that the younger generation is destroying the values and culture of the day. And the younger generation, as a result, thinks that they are there to fix all the problems, to fix all that is broken, to right all wrongs. And the older generation thinks that the next generation is naive and ignorant. And back and forth it goes and on and on. And the truth is perhaps somewhere in the middle. As a result of that conversation, Billy Joel wrote the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. I'm sure you've heard it many times before, but the chorus goes like this. We didn't start the fire. It's always burning since the world been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. And the song goes on to give a rapid fire list of 100 historical events just in those 40 years that Billy Joel was alive. And that song was written in the 80s and 30 years have passed since it and a new generation has been raised up. And so in a sense, a a new song could be written with at least 100 more events that have taken place since that time. And yet, I think the chorus would still be true that we didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. And the reality is that the fire has always been burning and that fire no doubt started in the Garden of Eden. And so we might think that this is perhaps the most unique time or perhaps even the worst time culturally or perhaps even spiritually, but I think as we've look back on history, we would say that that is not the case. As we have just finished up the book of Joshua, which is perhaps one of the climaxes of 
Israel's history with its victories and by and large faithfulness to the Lord. We now go to, I think, perhaps one of the worst and darkest times in the life of Israel, captured for us in this book, this book of Hosea. Hosea ministered to the northern kingdom, to those ten tribes up north, and that culture at that time was characterized by unfaithfulness and even debauchery, so much so that Hosea is to model that unfaithfulness by marrying a prostitute, as we read tonight. Because just like Hosea's wife, so was Israel. And yet what we'll see is that God's faithfulness and love are always the same in spite of the unfaithfulness and sin. And as a result, God does warn and even does punish those that have turned from it. But tonight we will just begin looking at this book as a way of introduction to the whole. And I want to look at it in three points. First, Hosea, the person, Hosea, the prophet, and then lastly, Hosea, the prophecy. First, Hosea, the person. We only know a few things about the life and time of Hosea, and we can begin with his name. His name, as mentioned, is Hosea. And that name is not altogether different than the name of the last person that we studied, that of Joshua. Joshua, as we made mention, was and means the Lord saves. Well, Hosea or Hoshea means saved or salvation. And in this way, both Joshua and Hosea have similar names to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we read in Matthew 1.21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. As you know, names are significant in the Bible. Oftentimes their names are indicators of their mission. And the name of Hosea is no different. His name is fitting. And in many ways quite remarkable given the context. One commentator says that Hosea's name means salvation is a fitting designation to sum up his prophecies that so wonderfully declare God's sovereign grace in dealing with the undeserving. Salvation, that's a statement, the author says. Whether intentional or not, his name encapsulates his message. And that is true, especially as we look at this book. You might think that his name should mean wrath, not salvation. Or that his name should be that which he names his children, as Lord willing we will see next week. But no, despite it all, his name represents that which he proclaims, the Lord's salvation. Salvation in every generation. The salvation of the one who saves. And the Lord saves in quote-unquote, the best of times and also in the worst of times. His mercy and grace transcend both. 
And we know that Hosea ministered exclusively in the northern kingdom. Remember in the history of Israel that uh, Jeroboam broke away from Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and ten tribes in the north went with him and separated from Judah and Benjamin in the south. And so we know Israel in the north, sometimes called Samaria, is separated from Judah or those southern kingdoms in the south. And most of the prophets that we have in the Bible ministered in the southern kingdom, in Judah and not in the north. In fact, only Amos and Hosea were in the north. And Amos was born in the southern kingdom but was sent almost as a missionary to the north. But Hosea was born in the north and stayed in the north to minister. And we know from the opening verses that he had quite a ministry. We read that he was a prophet during the days of four southern kings. They are mentioned there, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And as a result, several kings in the north, although there's only one mentioned in that of Jeroboam, and that would have been Jeroboam the second, not the first. But from this, we can take that Hosea had quite a ministry in, in quite a span of time, as much as 40 and perhaps even as long as 60 years of ministry of proclaiming the word of God as the prophet of God. John Calvin, in his commentary on this book, says it hence appears with how great and with how invincible courage and perseverance Hosea was endued by the Holy Spirit. When God employs our service for 20 or 30 years, we think it very wearisome, especially when we have to contend with wicked men and those who do not willingly undertake the yoke but perniciously resist us. We then instantly desire to be free and wish to become like soldiers who have completed their time. When therefore we see that this prophet persevered for so long a time, let him be to us an example of patience so that we may not be despondent, though the Lord may not immediately free us from our burden. And if you know anything about the life of John Calvin and his ministry, we can see some personal commentary in there and some encouragement that he took by reading this book and looking at the ministry of Hosea and the struggles that he had to go through and yet the patience and perseverance in which he continued to minister. And this is not only true of Hosea, but this is true of many of the saints of old. Again, as we have just finished the book of Joshua, we saw that Joshua was 40 years old when he first went into the land to spy it out and then had to wait another 40 years while that entire generation died. And then on top of that, 30 more years to lead them into the promised land and to fight for it never really getting to enjoy that freedom per se. And Hosea, being the same, ministered perhaps for as long as 60 years, ministered to people that rejected him and rejected his message and ultimately rejected the God that he represented. Even so, 
He did it with faithfulness and perseverance. And we might even say, even through having a difficult marriage and not having the blessing of a good wife. So whenever we think our burden is too great or our cross is too heavy, we can remember those that are examples to us who are given much more than we. And even so, we can remember that the yoke of our Lord is easy and his burden light as we continue to follow him in obedience. Well, moving on from Hosea the person, we see that second Hosea the prophet, that Hosea indeed was a prophet called by God. We see in verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, that being a prophet was one of those three offices in the church of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. All were unique in their own way, but that which they were similar was that each and every one of them were called by God. And usually it took place through an anointing. In this way, we could say that every prophet, priest, and king were messianic in the sense that they were anointed or set apart. And this was true of Hosea as well. He was called upon the Lord to do the Lord's work. In this way, he was set apart, holy unto the Lord, in the same way that many of the other prophets were. We read of Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos, and we read specifically of their particular callings. For example, with Amos, we read that he was a shepherd, one that was given to being a herdsman. And we read of this in Amos seven fourteen through 16. He says, I was not a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Goes on to say, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. And there in Amos calling, we see specifically what takes place in every prophet, that they were regular individuals like the rest, perhaps going about their various vocations like Amos was as a herdsman and dresser of sycamore figs. And the Lord called them out of that to be prophets, to prophesy. And therefore they spoke forth the the word of the Lord. And so though we do not read specifically of Hosea's call of being set apart, we know that he was, as we see there in verse 2, that the Lord spoke through Hosea. And so in this way, we could say that he was divinely chosen. Chosen not because he was more qualified, not because he was head and shoulders spiritually above the rest, but because God had placed that calling upon him. And in fact, all of the prophets thought that God in some way, somehow, perhaps called the wrong person. We can think of Moses. And Moses said that he was ineloquent and therefore unable to speak. Ezekiel, we read, sat for seven days overwhelmed with the vision that he received 
calling him to be a prophet in Ezekiel 3. Isaiah says that he was a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. And yet they were called to this specific task. They were to be the mouthpiece of God to God's people and even to the surrounding nations. O. Palmer Robertson says this, the prophet was not called to deal in philosophical abstractions. Instead, he spoke concrete words to the people of his own time in a way that continues to speak concretely to us today. Indeed, the word was given to a specific people in a specific time. But since this is not just the word of the prophets, but the word of the Lord, that word is truthful. And therefore, transcends all time frames. It's still true for us today as we rightly understand in, 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 in its given context. And so, therefore, we can say that all the words, not only of the scriptures, but specifically of the prophets, are authoritative. Therefore, when they spoke, they often preceded it with that famous phrase, Thus saith the Lord. They don't begin by saying, now this is what I say, or this is what I think, or this is what I believe would be good, but this is indeed the word of the Lord. And therefore, as Hosea will say in chapter 4, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Prophets in many ways are like ambassadors today. As you know, ambassadors don't speak on their own, but only speak that which is given for them to speak as a representative of that nation from where he or she comes. But as much as they do speak, they speak with authority, all the authority of the state in which they represent. And so the prophets were the same. They spoke on behalf of God, almost as missionaries from heaven itself, with all the authority and weight and truthfulness of God. And as much as they, the people, obeyed the prophets, they obeyed God. And likewise, as much as they disobeyed the prophets, they also disobeyed God. Stephen, in the New Testament, gives a criticism as he gives that famous speech in Acts chapter 7 speaking to his people and his countrymen. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Notice what Stephen is saying to them, that you are just as your fathers were. That you don't listen to the word of God and you ultimately persecute and even killed. Just as you killed the prophets of old, so now you have killed the ultimate prophet, the righteous one. You have resisted the Holy Spirit. And notice how he links resisting the Holy Spirit to resisting the word of the prophets and ultimately the chief prophet being that of Christ. And yet the word 
of these prophets continued to go out, even to those who would not hear and to those that would even persecute them for being sent by God with such a word. And so therefore that leads us to our third point, Hosea, the prophecy. We will look more into this book in the weeks to come, but let me say just as a beginning, as a way of introduction, that oftentimes when we think of prophets and prophecy, we think of some futuristic words, some futuristic events that are yet to come. And to some degree that was true. But as John Calvin says, the prophets were ultimately interpreters of the law. That they gave the promise of salvation and of eternal life laid forth for us in the word of God. They gave us a rule for godly and holy living and for those that would not respond to that call, they were to restore the fear of God by threatenings and reproofs and ultimately to speak of the judgment yet to come if the people would not respond to such threatenings and reproofs. And you might hear that and think, well, that's kind of negative, not very positive, not very unlifting. Perhaps if they were more kind, more loving, perhaps they would have won a few more over. But I think we should look at the prophets not as some dour group, but to see that their very presence was the symbol of God's love and kindness and mercy. Let us always remember that the opposite of love is not having no correction or reproof. No, the opposite of love is indifference, is it not? If I would see my three-year-old son begin to stick his finger into the outlets, it's not unloving to yell no and stop. No, that is the definition of love, to warn and to protect so as to not be hurt and to not go astray. Not loving would be saying nothing at all or doing nothing. And so God demonstrates his love for his people by sending his messengers. Yes, to warn, but ultimately to give the promise of salvation, as even the name of Hosea means, to give the way of godly living and to, yes, give reproof when they would go astray. That, we could say, is the definition of true love. And that is not only true during Hosea's day or during the day of the prophets, that is as much true today as it was then, that we don't need just sugar-coated messages of what we want to hear so our ears can be tickled, but what we need to hear. And what we need to hear, as I said, is no different than what the people during Hosea's day needed to hear, which is the word of God. To hear, thus saith the Lord. As Paul would charge his protege, Timothy, as a pastor, he would say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. And what should that preaching look like? Well, it should be to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with complete patience and in all teaching. Again, as one commentator says this about the work and ministry of the prophets and tying it into today, he says, one thing stands out in the light of the prophetic activity in the northern kingdom. In times of crisis, God sent a man with a word. The very fact that God raised up Hosea to minister to a people living in such a day of religious mess should give us hope. It doesn't require much spiritual insight to recognize the religious mess of our day. Religious pluralism plagues society and true Christianity, which necessarily is exclusive, is at odds with the majority. Let it be our prayer that God would raise up ministers and preachers today with prophetic boldness to declare his word. In his grace, God has given his word as the answer to any crisis. And that is true as we turn to this book, that that man with the word was Hosea. And as we'll see, he had to model his message as much as he proclaimed it. But before we close tonight, we would be amiss to stop there. Because every prophet ultimately is a foreshadowing, as we mentioned before, of the greater prophet yet to come. As that commentator just mentioned God sent a man with a word and the ultimate man with a word is the God man the Lord Jesus Christ that God the father sent God the son to be the true and ultimate prophet with the word speaking forth the word of God in its fullness in fact all of the prophets point to this great and grand prophet in fact the greatest of the prophets and the first prophet that of Moses says in Deuteronomy 18 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers it is to him that you shall listen he goes on to say I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. And as we know, that was not ultimately fulfilled in Isaiah or Jeremiah or even Hosea, but in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, the author of Hebrews can begin his wonderful book, an epistle in this way, long ago and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. And if you would read that in the Greek, you would see that when it says that he has spoken to us, the word that is used there is in the perfect tense that he's working he's spoken in its fullness in a greater and more majestic way than even any of those other prophets spoke before so in other words we are in 
No need of any other prophets these days. Christ Jesus has spoken fully, completely, perfectly. We need no other word of the Lord. We need no other revelation of God. We need not God speak to us directly. He has already spoken to us directly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not merely the word from God. He was the word of God, the divine logos. And so all of his actions, all of his words pointed and represented God in his perfection, which no prophet before could do. And so because he was God, his word is sufficient. And so since Christ has spoken to us perfectly, completely, sufficiently, how should we respond? We should respond with what Jesus tells us we must respond to, with ears that hear, with eyes that see. And so the question is, do we hear and do we respond accordingly? Because as the author of Hebrews would go on to say, if God did not hold those who neglected the word of the prophets guiltless, how much more guilt do we incur upon ourselves if we do not hear the word of the one true prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we can be thankful again for the word that God has given to us. And even as we hear and see the disobedience of the people during Hosea's day, let us not say, how could they? But let us say, may that not be us. But let us run to Christ in faith and belief once again. Every time the true word of God is spoken. So as we close tonight, Hosea is ultimately a symbol of salvation coming with a message of both reproof and of love. And yet, how much more do we have the greater and ultimate symbol of love and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? May our lives be conformed to him. Christ's message, his truth, his love is true in every generation. If the days be good or the days be evil. And so let us continue to Proclaim forth that word and that message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. Indeed, the fires have been burning since the world's been turning. But we know ultimately the one who has and will snuff out all of hell's flames. And so let us flee to him even this night, and find rescue in Him alone. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this man sent with a word, sent with a message, and we perhaps do not know much about him or even perhaps don't know much of his message. But Lord, in the weeks to come, we pray that we would use this message to know that man and more importantly his word as he points forward to the greater man the Lord Jesus Christ and the greater message the salvation that is found in Christ alone Lord we pray this all in Christ Jesus our Savior's name Amen